Welcome to the podcast of Woman Otolaryngologists, or POWER. I'm Patricia Yalamachi. My co-host Janice Farlow and I are otolaryngology head and neck surgery residents at the University of Michigan. Our POWER podcast is focused on equipping early career women, specifically otolaryngology junior faculty and residents like ourselves, with critical non-medical skills and knowledge for successful, fulfilling careers. We're looking to find and deliver pragmatic advice while engaging a geographically disparate community of Odo women. Today, we will be discussing mentorship and sponsorship, highly accomplished experts in our field. Joining us is Dr. Sonia Maleksadeh, who is a professor of otolaryngology at Georgetown University. Dr. Maleksadeh is residency program director at Georgetown and a national leader in surgical education and simulation training. She's been honored twice with the Outstanding Teaching Award for her educational efforts within the Department of Otolaryngology. We're also joined by Associate Professor of Laryngology at the University of Michigan, Dr. Robbie Kupfer. Dr. Kupfer serves as our esteemed residency program director, laryngology fellowship director, and a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In addition to mentoring numerous trainees herself, Dr. Kupfer has lectured on effective mentorship and sponsorship in a number of settings. We're so excited to welcome them both today. Great. So thank you so much, Dr. Malexadeh and Dr. Kupfer, for joining us today on our podcast of Women Otolaryngologists. Our episode this month is on mentorship and sponsorship, and both of you are experts in terms of being both mentors and also teaching others about sponsorship. So we really were excited to bring you both on board to talk about these things. Dr. Malek, today we were hoping we could get started with you. Um, And our first question was to sort of get all of our listeners on the same page. We wanted to start with a clear understanding of what is meant by mentorship and sponsorship and how these two things are similar but also different. There have been articles recently that have come out that have suggested that women in particular are sometimes quote-unquote over-mentored but under-sponsored. Can you speak to the distinction between the two terms, mentorship and sponsorship, and how this is important to consider? Yes, of course. Um, First, I want to thank you, uh, P.Y. and Janice, for the invitation to participate in this podcast, and congratulations on, on launching this. I think it's a fantastic concept, and you know, I'm certain that it's going to be valuable for so many of our female colleagues, so thank you. As you said, they've been discussed and examined extensively, and our literature is certainly rich with hundreds of studies and meta-analyses that um, they support the benefits of mentorship and sponsorship, and not just in medicine, but across so many career paths, such as business and engineering and, and banking. And there is so much data that to highlight and support the benefits of those who have mentored compared to those who have not. Um, those who've been mentored really do have a leg up. And individuals with mentors, you know, we know they receive more promotions, they have higher income, they report more career satisfaction than those who don't have mentors. Um, and if you look at mentor relationships in academic medicine, certainly those who have mentors have higher publication rates in peer-reviewed journals. They spend more time in research. Um, they also have greater career satisfaction. And it, again, it's not, this isn't just mentorship and sponsorship are not just important for junior faculty and residents, but really for everyone in, in all stages of their career. It's a continuum of your career. Um, so again, both sponsorship and mentorship, I think, are particularly important for women because as women, we do experience all the stressors that our male colleagues do. Um, you know, we face the same, but we also deal with additional stressors that are very unique to women. 
so to your question of mentorship versus sponsorship and the differences between the two, um, mentorship and mentoring, I see that as a really broad, um, sometimes as an overused term, it can be a catch-all um, and it can apply a wide array of different relationships, forms and activities. But I think at its simplest or its purest definition, it involves a meaningful interpersonal relationship between two people. It's usually a more senior person, a more senior faculty member with a junior um, faculty member, or resident or student. And typically that senior member takes the junior member under their wing and that mentor is personally committed to the professional and sometimes even the personal successes of the mentee. A sponsor can also be a mentor, but what a sponsor specifically does that's different from a mentor is that they actually go to bat for you. So a, sp a sponsor can be, again, a well-respected individual. They're typically someone who's in a position of power. They have networks of relationships, and they can call on those people to influence you know, these personal decisions. Um, so they have a power, and they'll use it for you. Um, so this is someone who's going to talk about you when you're not in the room. They're going to nominate you, put you up for a committee. They're going to put your name forth for an award or promotion. Um, they're going to submit your name for lectureships. So that's really what a sponsor does. It's something that's very active. They're going to provide a specific opportunity and use their influence that they have to open doors for you. Your question of over-mentored and under-sponsored, um, that statement, I think that's very true. I think that's because mentorship, we, we tend to fall into doing mentors. It's easy to do. It's a, it's a go-to. Um, it's easy to give advice, guidance, knowledge. Those are all sort of endless things that, that we can do. But sponsorship is really different. Like I said, sponsorship is active. It requires someone to go to bat for you, and they have to use their, I guess, political chips, if you will. They have to spend their personal capital advocating for you. And, and those are very finite um, so people tend to ration those and use them very sparingly. So sponsorship is certainly very different. And I think sponsorship, we do lack that. Something that I think we need to be more active about, you know, beyond mentoring. We need to over-sponsor instead of under-sponsoring. Thank you, Dr. Maleksadeh. And when we're talking about mentorship and sponsorship, it sounds like there are qualities that blend between the two different roles. What should trainees and early career women otolaryngologists be looking for? Maybe I'll, I'll ask Dr. Kupfer this. Um, what, what should junior women otolaryngologists be looking for in, in terms of a mentor or a sponsor? Um, and are there certain things that they should be wary of when they're approaching somebody for a mentorship or sponsorship? Uh, that's a great question. Thanks, Janice. Um, and obviously, I'm happy to have Dr. Malexiday also chime in. You know, as Dr. Malexiday mentioned, um, a sponsor needs to be somebody who's well connected and has has a good network. Um, and so, I think it is important to have um, mentors and sponsors um, who do, you know, who have been successful, have um, those connections and that network um, in the field that you're interested in to help make connections with you. It's also important that it be um, someone who has the time, frankly, to to spend with you. Um, and that can be challenging to find someone who has both the power um, and the position and also the time. And, you know, we can talk about it later, but that gets into some of the mentorship malpractice, um, you know, issues um, that, that you can run into. It's, uh, it's helpful to have someone who may understand some of the specific issues that you may be facing. 
Um, certainly women can be great mentors to other women um, because they can understand, they can empathize um, and really help you navigate situations that they may have been through before. Um, but certainly that's, it's not exclusive. Um, men can be excellent mentors to women um, and out of necessity, I think most women will need to seek out male mentors as well um, to also help them with both mentorship and sponsorship. I wanted to piggyback on your comment, Robbie, about the, the gender differences between mentoring and, you know, do you need a male mentor? Do you need a female mentor? You know, I, I think that's just a really interesting concept and there's data out there to support both. Um, and I think you need both. I think we need different types of mentors in our lives. You know, you need a mentor for a different reason. I think they, they, they fill those roles. When I reflect back on, you know, my career, there were not very many women when I was a resident. We didn't have any female faculty members. I had a female co-resident who was a couple years behind me. And it was, it was challenging, you know, beyond even mentorship and sponsorship. I didn't even have a role model. You know, I didn't have anybody to look up to, to who was going to show me what it was like to be a woman surgeon in otolaryngology. And interestingly, I had to go beyond the confines of my department. And um, one of the plastic surgery attendings was a woman and she had children and she had a family and she, in some ways became, you know, my, my go-to person to talk to because there wasn't anyone in my department. So the point being, you know, we have to look beyond the, the walls of our department and maybe even our institution because there's so many fabulous people out there that we may not think about going to who can certainly serve, serve that role. But to your point of the men, absolutely. I think men have traditionally held many of those, you know, positions that we aspire to and they can absolutely, you know, help pave that way for us and to be mentors and sponsors. Yeah, that's super helpful. I, my kind of takeaway from that is that a mentor is someone who you have a more active relationship with and ha get advice from in both professional or and or um, personal life. And you can have multiple mentors. Uh, one thing that you both brought up was the idea of the identity mentor, someone you share a, either a shared background or an underrepresented minority category with that you can kind of relate to on a personal level, whereas sponsorship, it sounds like it's really someone who can kind of advocate for you behind your back or when you're not in the room. Dr. Kupfer, you brought up the mentorship malpractice. Um, you had given a really nice Grand Rounds talk for our department and brought up this terminology. I guess we're at the stage of the podcast where we're sort of defining all our terms. We talked about mentorship. We talked about what sponsorship is and you brought up mentorship malpractice. Can you tell us more about what that is and what that might look like? Yeah, this is a really good find, actually, when I was preparing the Mentorship Grand Rounds. Um, there's a, just a really brilliant short article by Vineet Chopra and colleagues um, published in JAMA in 2016 called Mentorship Malpractice. And I highly recommend it to anybody um, to read, but, you know, kind of summarize. It's more as the concept of, you know, with, with mentorship, um, it's inherently an unequal power differential relationship. And it does leave the mentee somewhat vulnerable to disproportionately suffer if the relationship is dysfunctional. So, um, so they basically sought to name some of those dysfunctional behaviors that a mentor might have so that mentees can look out for that and kind of have a bit of a game plan for how to deal with that if they find themselves in the situation. There were There are types of active mentorship malpractice and passive mentorship malpractice, um, and they gave them some kind of cute names. So of the active ones, um, a hijacker would be um, that mentor who basically takes their mentee's ideas or work 
and claims it for their own self-gain. And mentees may be sort of unknowingly complicit with this, uh, may feel valued, like, oh, my work is so great that my mentor wants to, um, you know, put their name after it. But this is clearly not helpful to the mentee. And if you're mentoring somebody, your goal should be for their success. And so this is not an, this is not really acceptable mentorship behavior. Another one is the exploiter, which is a little similar, but um, basically, well, this is the price of having me as your mentor, um, or say it's a valuable learning experience. I think all of us in medicine have heard that before, right? When uh, given Scott work. Um, she is, as Dr. Malexide said, you know, you need to have a team of, you know, mentors, mentors for different parts of your life. And so um, it's not okay to have one mentor sort of insisting um, that you do everything with them. So those are the active mentorship malpractice, but the passive mentorship malpractice um, things may be even a little more common. Um, so a really common one is the bottleneck. And um, I, I think both of you probably know from direct experience, I've been guilty of this before. You know, this is, these are mentors who basically lack the bandwidth to attend to their mentees needs, um, particularly with projects, research, et cetera. Um, and it just diminishes the productivity of the mentee, um, particularly if that mentor engages in rate limiting behavior. So basically saying, I need to see every, you know, every draft of this manuscript before it can move to the next step, but then you send it to them and it takes three weeks to get back or something like that. Um, and so, you know, this can be modified by setting expectations up front, setting deadlines um, and expectations for what the involvement will be so that you can ensure that, you know, things can move forward. The country clubber, this would be someone who wants to be everyone's friend and, and really just evades conflict, even when difficult conversations may be needed. For instance, negotiating on the behalf of their mentee. And mentees may find it difficult to assert themselves because the mentor is so nice and everybody likes them, but it's really not an effective um, relationship and the, that mentor may not really be helping you. And then finally, the world traveler would be someone who we kind of talked about earlier um, may be very well connected, you know, have these big leadership positions, but just doesn't have the time for face-to-face -face interaction with you as a, ment as a mentee. Um, and so really isn't going to be able to give you the type of attention and, and help with direction that you need. So, you know, all of these, I think, are, are eye-opening um, when you read about them. What's fascinating is I, I talked about these with in a session with our interns this month during their Intern Skills Month. And um, I was saddened that every single one of our interns said, I've experienced this. I mean, and they could, you know, without a doubt, say, I have definitely been in these situations. Um, and so I think a lot of us can think about some of these and, and see some of these behaviors. It's just important to recognize and not be complicit. So, you know, really think critically, what, what was my contribution to that paper and what should I what should I get out of it? Um, and I think for a lot of people, you get burned once um, and then you become better about, you know, setting that expectation up front. Um, but hopefully people listening to this podcast won't have to get burned once. Maybe um, they'll hear this and remember that you need to set those, you know, authorship expectations up front and recognize what, you know, what you're going to get out of a project up front. Um, and then, you know, most important is probably establishing a mentorship team so that if you have some of these behaviors on one, by one of your mentors, number one, you might be able to recognize egregious behavior because you have a good mentor and someone to contrast with, but also just to fill in the gaps um, where some mentors may be less adequate. 
and then simply know when to walk away. You know, some, some things, um, if you're being possessed or hijacked, um, this is not a healthy relationship and it may just be one that um, you don't deserve to be in. I found it really helpful to just have the vocabulary that Dr. Cupper was talking about of these kind of different mentorship relationships. I think the bottleneck is probably the one that I've personally experienced and that um, and that everyone who is a served as a mentor is also a lot of other people's mentors and takes and it feels like you're using up a lot of their time and limited resources and that sometimes leads to delays for you but also a sense of guilt as a mentee that you're using up too much of their time. Um, have you kind of experienced any of these mentorship malpractice as a mentee or seen it in other mentors? Yeah, both. I, I think across, you know, both aisles, the men, being a mentor and a mentee, um, you know, there, there are certainly many challenges around those relationships. Um, I've never heard of the malpractice. I love that. I, I've referred to as uh, mentorship dysfunction, but this, I, I love that term. There are many challenges. I think time constraints are probably number one, two, and three from my perspective. You know, it takes a lot of energy and resources to mentor somebody. You know, especially now in academics, it's it's even more challenging. And Dr. Kupfer can speak to this as well. I'm not sure how it is at University of Michigan, but you know, a lot of institutions are now um, RVU-based, and in some ways, they descend disincentivize um, education and mentoring goes along with that. So correlated to that is there can be few rewards at that departmental level. Um, and most people do it because of their personal satisfaction, but it's, it's that time um, can be really limiting. I completely agree with that. The bottleneck is probably the number one issue. I will say we are fortunate in our department um, that mentorship factors in to kind of an incentive system um, based on kind of citizenship items. So it is rewarded, although definitely not to the extent that clinical productivity is. Do either of you have some ideas on how mentees can better prepare for these relationships then knowing that time and time and time is the main constraint for many of our mentors um, and that that may be limited by what the institution recognizes for mentorship activity. Have you um, had any experiences with mentees that you thought um, were perhaps exceptionally prepared or they brought something new to that relationship, something that you really valued as a mentor that gave you additional um, benefit from a mentor-mentee relationship that you were not initially intending or anticipating? From my perspective, I think when the mentee comes to a mentor with very clearly defined goals, they have outlined their ideas, they're asking for very specific things, that is incredibly helpful. Also, a mentee who is continually reflecting on their progress, they're doing self-assessments, they're looking to what the next steps would be, and they're coming to you with help refining their goals. And, and I think that preparation is really important. I think that that facilitates that relationship and it makes things much more clearly defined and it becomes sort of a well-oiled process. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who's... Um you know, I try to do this um, with people, although I may not be as good as I could be, but having a discussion up front about what are the expectations? Um, what what do you need from me? What can I do for you? Um, what's the timing with which we should be meeting? Um, I do think that can be challenging because just as, as you guys mentioned, feeling 
like, oh, these faculty are very busy and I don't want to interrupt their time. I mean, I certainly feel that for the residents, right? Um, and so it's hard to know, you know, how often do you want to meet, you know, and, and um, how often do you need um, to meet with, with me? Um, what's, you know, I don't want to be disrupting, you know, you might have a finally have a free hour somewhere, right, um, as a resident. So um, I think setting those expectations up front can be helpful. And then, um, you know, just, uh, of course, I think the mentor needs to be able to be available at other times as well if something comes up. But um, yeah, just in addition to what Dr. Malekste said, I say I would say that as well, thinking about expectations for timing. Now, do any of those tips translate into finding sponsors? Um, I guess I, I am more ignorant of how to approach sponsorship. It's a relatively new term for me. Um, and without knowing what opportunities out there, let's say somebody, um, an early career woman otolaryngologist is interested in getting more involved and in finding a sponsor. Um, are there things that that, um, that person should bring to the table when they are trying to find opportunities or find somebody in a position of power that may be able to advocate on their behalf? I think that's similar. I think you've, you have a very clear defined ask from that person. And, you know, many of your mentors can also be your sponsors. So there doesn't have to be, you know, there's not this dividing line between the two. Um, but a sponsor being that one person who can help you achieve that one thing that you need um, and going with that very specific ask to, to your mentor slash sponsor is the way to go. Yeah, and I would add just, um, you know, you look at the look at the role models ahead of you, right, who have done the things that you want, you see yourself wanting to do. Um, and they may be, you know, residents that are more senior than you or, or if you're, you know, a fellow thinking about junior faculty and ask them how they got to where they are. And they may be able to tell you, you know, who sponsored them. Um, and that, you know, you may identify people who are a high yield relationship to, um, you know, to get to know and spend some time, you know, meeting at meetings or, or within your own department um, who can help you with that. And mentors can give you advice on how to approach the sponsor. Have you, as mentors um, in kind of structured capacities, have you... Uh, been in the situation where residents or medical students, people have approached you specifically asking to be your mentee, or is it, or is it usually come within the setting of a specific goal or around research or something specific? Because um, I personally, in my experience, I've never actually asked anyone to be my mentor. The people who I've identified as mentors are people who I've done research with and have worked a lot with and have kind of organically taken on a mentor and then sponsorship role. But I, at least at my stage, I feel awkward having a conversation, asking someone to be my mentor or like asking someone to advocate on my behalf. So um, at, as someone at the recipient end of things, are those conversations that you're receptive towards? definitely would be receptive. Um, it probably doesn't happen as much as it should. Um, I think for the very reasons that you mentioned, PY, it's just, um, I think, I think it, it feels awkward. And I think we're not, 
especially as women, probably we're not used to asking for what we want and we need. And it feels like we're being needy or high maintenance when we ask for things. Um, so yeah, that can be awkward to go up to somebody and say, will you be my mentor? So I suggest that you try out a relationship by asking for advice from a potential mentor to see, um, you know, if your personalities and your communication styles are a good match. And again, that can uh, spontaneously and organically can lead to a more formal mentorship. Speaking of formal and informal, I, I did want to say a few words about that and make the distinction between the two. Many institutions have implemented um, formal mentorship programs, so they're assigned mentorships, and that really is where the relationship is tends to be strictly professional. It can be a little bit dry, and that senior person, their role mainly is to make sure that junior person is completing specific sort of requirements that are put forth by the institution, or you have to check boxes to make sure they're progressing appropriately in, in their field and that they have the knowledge that the institution deems necessary to achieve career success. So it, it can be a bit, like I said, dry. Informal mentorship requires you to seek your own mentors and there's that personal element um, in addition to the professional guidance. And there's pros and cons to both. Now, my personal preference is to allow it to occur organically, and there's that natural bond that occurs. Um, I don't feel that that's forced, um, but there certainly is data that supports that the formal you know, mentorship uh, programs can be very successful. So I, I think you should look to see what opportunities exist and maybe you take advantage of both. Um, but to your original question, you know, I, I think the informal ones tend to be um, you know, more, more meaningful and you can really find that right fit. Initial meeting that you talked about, the advice kind of meeting to see if you, your mentor was a good fit. I've seen, I've recently read mentorship being compared to dating where your first interaction with them is like your blind date and then you identify that they might be a good fit. So then you go on a few more dates and it might be times that you work together in clinic or the OR, or you listen to them talk and you find that you align to some extent, and then you sort of choose to formalize that relationship. And it seems like based on what you're both advising that formalizing that relationship might not asking the person to be your mentor, but it might be around establishing specific goals. So it might be that you're interested in their very specific research topic and are and would like to get involved or you're working on uh, your efficiency in clinic and you've appreciated that this mentor is very efficient in clinic and you want to meet with them and kind of improve on that. Yeah, I think it's probably similar in a way. That's a great way to describe it. I like that one. That's a good analogy. I mean, I've had several really exceptional mentors, you know, a couple different styles, um, certainly. Um, so one mentor I have, and, and, and kind of for different parts of, of my career, but one mentor I have is very good about the formal mentorship sort of set, set a meeting and, you know, hey, what, and it, it didn't feel as awkward maybe as I thought it would, but um, what can I do for you? You know, what are what are your goals? And really um, being very helpful for me in terms of when I come with a, a concern or a, a matter, what is it that you really 
want? You know, what is your career goal? You're looking at these different opportunities. What's really going to serve you and what, what you want to do? Other mentors I've had, um, and, you know, one of my closest mentors who, who is a man, um, you know, with obviously very different life experience from me, I have appreciated is just the, um, the consistency and the attention of, it was very clear that we have this mentorship relationship and we meet on a regular schedule um, and he just listens. You know, I think he doesn't understand all of what I go through and he readily says that. Um, as a woman, and he just wants to listen. Um, and so I really appreciate kind of the, the curiosity with which he approaches my experience um, and really thinking about how it can be helpful for me as both a sponsor and a mentor. Those are wonderful mentors who really do, and, and that is a mentor, someone who really does take that interest in, in not just your career, but your life and has your personal professional goals in mind, um, but someone who, who really does take the time out of their day, they're very busy people and that they take that time put aside to check in with you, circling back on topics that you've had in the past. Those are really valuable mentors. Dr. Malexiday, I was struck by your earlier example of reaching out to a uh, a female member of a different department. Um, I think that's a very tangible piece of advice that our listeners can take away from this conversation. And I was wondering if um, either of you can expand on that topic of um, finding others in places that you might not have looked originally um, for for early career otolaryngologists that are looking for specific things and not finding it at their institution. Uh, we now live in a day and age where uh, technology is um, connecting people from all over the, the world. Um, have you had experience in that yet? Uh, advice from your own experiences or seeing others connect with individuals that can serve in a mentorship or sponsorship, sponsorship role at other institutions or organizations? I think, you know, opportunities exist everywhere, um, many opportunities. It's important for you to look beyond the confines, again, of your department and your institution and, again, really advocate for yourself and actively seek out these mentors um, and sponsors and, you know, make the most of those relationships. But, again, beyond your own home, professional organizations are a fantastic place to look for mentors perfect example is the women in otolaryngology at the academy. This is now a section. Hundreds of women are members of the section. There's so many leadership opportunities there. They have um, committees, seven committees. They really encourage and they welcome residents, fellows, and junior faculty. And they have the resources um, to provide mentorship avenues and to support you know, women throughout the continuum of their career. American Rhinologic Society, I believe they have a women in rhinology and the head neck, American Head Neck Society has something similar. So again, there's this network of women um, who are ready and willing to serve as your mentors. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think one thing that's interesting is I have maybe appreciated the value of mentors more um, during the early years of my of being a faculty member than I think I really did prior. And I, I think it's because you have kind of built in relationships that are like mentorship relationships. They don't necessarily act that way, but you know, you have teachers, right? You have educators, you have attendings um, who kind of serve 
that role. Um, and often, as you said, may not be formalized with any kind of regular frequency, but at least for the three months or so that you're on that rotation, you sort of have a mentor um, or you have a research mentor. Um, but I, I, you know, when you become a faculty member, um, depending on where you are, that may not be built in at all anymore. And suddenly there's nobody telling you what to do. Um, and I think that's a really critical time. Um, I think mentors are important all along, as Dr. Malexide said, but I think that's a really critical time um, to, to have mentors and sponsors um, when you're starting out as, as faculty. I think that's a great point. You know, as a resident or a fellow, your life is so structured and people are telling you what to do, where to go, what, you know, who to be, what to say, how to act. And then you you graduate and that support system that was already built in to the residency, I don't want to say poof, it disappears. Hopefully they'll always be there for you, but but it's not as tangible as when you were a resident. So now you know you have to navigate this whole new world of, of being an attending or you know junior faculty member if you're in private practice and again you have to be proactive i think about seeking those mentors out in these next phases when you have mentors that don't necessarily look like you like the mentor who doesn't have a shared identity um anecdotally we've heard experiences of when those same mentors have a shared identity with their mentee they might do things like go play sports together or go to a bar, go to each other's houses, and they develop this um, relationship that is more than just their professional meeting and um, that strengthens their relationship. For Both of you talked about having mentors who didn't necessarily look like you and were often men. Um, how do you kind of establish close relationships without having those kinds of interactions? I think that's a great question. It's a really important question. As we talked about, I mean, there's there's many reasons why it's important to be able to have an effective mentorship relationship um, with people, you know, across identity differences. It's important for the mentees um, because they may not have access to mentors who all look like them. It's also important for the mentors um, who need to learn. Um, and frankly, I think we can learn a lot from our mentees who have a different identity and a different experience. The key to those relationships is being able to talk openly about your differences and both parties sort of recognizing what their bias is um, when they come to these. You know, this is gets into sort of implicit bias, um, but recognizing what, what assumptions you might make um, about the, the other person um, in the relationship. And then being being able to openly talk about that so that you can listen and understand. And I think as a mentee, if you're seeking a mentor um, who doesn't share your identity, if they're unwilling to talk about how your identity affects your career and your life, um, then I don't know that they can necessarily be the most effective mentor for you. Um, but chances are, you know, if, if it is, if it does come up, um, most people are going to want to ask, uh, you know, find out how, how does that affect you? They're just not sure how to ask you. And so I think um, finding a way to make that open and discussable um, is important. And I think, you know, you can, you can think about, you know, saying something, you know, like, I feel like my identity as a woman has a big impact on my career. 
Um, this is something I think will be important to openly talk about um, with you as a mentor. Are you comfortable talking with me about my experiences as a woman or, you know, um, or whatever the identity is? And I think coming at it from that angle, most people would say yes and, uh, you know, want to listen to that experience. I think that's important. Um, and the relationships I've had with really effective mentors um, who are men didn't look like me. That was very, you know, very much something that we could talk openly about. Rico, what you're saying, it's it's a really important topic, and it does help to have somebody who looks like you, who's experienced what you've experienced, who's sort of walked in your shoes, has a sense of what you're struggling with. But it may be hard to find those people, and I think that goes back to the mentoring team concept and having multiple mentors and being able to, I guess, diversify your portfolio, if you will. You know, one person isn't going to have the expertise or be able to help you in one specific area, but another person can. So having these multiple uh, people who bring their own experiences and talents and connections, I think that's a really important piece of your um, looking forward at a mentorship group or network or team. Um, you know, looking back, I did not have a lot of, as I said earlier, female mentors. And I think that was challenging because you know, I, I had male mentors who helped me with my career and my career path, but often where I was really struggling was the, the life, work-life balance piece of it. And how do I manage, you know, a husband and I have four children and two dogs and um, my other, this is my, you know, other full-time job in addition to my work full-time job. And I didn't have anybody who could, that was really even a role model. As I said, I couldn't look to anybody who was doing that and see how they navigated that path. And it was just trying to figure it out on my own. It can be really tough. And a lot of the male mentors don't necessarily, um, you know, they see that you might be struggling, but they can't empathize in a way that probably a female mentor could have. Again, I, you know, trained 25 years ago. So there weren't a lot of women in surgery at then. I, back in that time, I think we're so fortunate now that there are more women in otolaryngology, but across all the surgical specialties. And, you know, again, if you're in an academic institution where there aren't women specifically in a department, I mean, gosh, look beyond that. There's so many people out there who've, who've gone down that path that you can help you get through those specific areas, you know, and the personal piece. I think that's really important for women is the personal piece, not so much the professional aspect of it. Well, thank you to you both for all the contributions you've made as um, mentors. Um, I think PY and I feel very fortunate to um, be able to have this discussion with you. I think it's really um, going to enrich a lot of the ideas that different people, our listeners, bring to um, bring to their own mentoring and sponsorship relationships. Um, I know we're running low on time, so um, I'm, I, we've covered a lot of ground, but obviously this is an enormous topic. I wonder if either of you have some other thoughts that um, you think our listeners really need to hear about this topic that we haven't touched on yet. I think an important thing to remember going forward is that to be mentors ourselves. So you know, like I said earlier, I've been fortunate. I've had a number of mentors in my career. And looking back, I realized that many of my successes and whatever achievements I've been able to, to, you know, accomplish, these really can be directly linked to the inspiring mentors that I've had. And it's incredibly important for us to pay it forward. Um, so whether I'm at this point in my career or, you know, PY and Janice, you can be a mentor to younger 
residents, you can be a mentor to a medical student. So there's always a role for us to be mentors and a good friend and, and, you know, one of my mentors, a late Linda Brodsky, she's a pediatric otolaryngologist. You know, she said, and I, I so remember this so clearly when she said, as you climb that proverbial ladder, you need to extend your hand down and pull your colleagues up with you, right? So pay it forward, pull women up and push them forward. It's so important for us as women to be intentional and deliberate about this mentorship and sponsorship. So that's what, what I would want to leave you with is to be a mentor to somebody else and to pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Another kind of point that I hope people will get out of this as well is just to remember not to be afraid to ask for what you need. Um, and we know that that can be a problem for women sometimes that we, we don't do that maybe as well as many of our male counterparts. Um, but it's, um, I think we, you know, I would encourage all the women out there to just get into the habit of knowing what you need and asking for it. Because when I look at my role models who are women and very successful, that's a behavior that I see. Um, and it's, um, it's been a challenge. I haven't quite gotten there, but um, being a surgeon does help because you have to start just by asking for the instruments you need. Um, but, but do it with all of your relationships um, with your mentors, you know, and, and in your clinical practice and your research. Um, these are really important things. You're not high maintenance. You're just getting the job done. Yeah, I, I found this conversation really interesting, um, and it's definitely added to my arsenal. So selfishly, thank you uh, for for empowering me to take that into my relationships for mentorship and sponsorship. And that's a wrap. Thanks to Dr. Kupfer and Dr. Maleksade for taking the time to really define what effective mentorship and sponsorship looks like. Today, we learned one, strategies for building that board of mentors for both our professional and personal life. Two, how to mentor across differences in identity and even geography with finding virtual mentors via our academy and other national societies. And three, finally, they taught us ways to avoid, quote, mentorship malpractice as both a mentor and a mentee. Ask for what you need in each relationship and define specific goals for each mentor and a timeline for achieving them. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time as we discuss expanding your career through clinical leadership.